A mom wishes that her husband would become the spiritual leader in her home. Another listener wants to know, when is it ever okay to lie? And we're going to tackle again the conversation about when to talk to your children about sex. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Welcome to the Heidi St. John podcast. You guys have found me here at my little corner of the internet, and I'm glad that you're here. Today is Mailbox Monday. You guys know that I love to answer your questions, and I want to say thank you to those of you who continue to write in and just leave us wonderful questions at the queue. You guys can have your question addressed right here at the show by just going to HeidiStJohn.com forward slash Mailbox Monday. So before I jump into your questions today, and there are a lot of them, and so I'm going to go through them as rapid fire as I possibly can, I want to let you guys know if you've never picked up my book, Becoming Mom Strong, this is a great time of year to just jump into what God says about the power and the preciousness of motherhood. So for those of you who are watching me on YouTube, you can see I've got it right here in my hand. This book was released in 2017, and it I really believe that God gave me a word for mothers today. Because in 2017, I was tackling why it's so important that we discuss sex and gender with our children. Uh, a lot of the things that are happening to our kids right now, this generation of mothers didn't even see coming. We didn't know we were going to have to talk to our kids about whether or not men could become women and whether or not men could have babies. There are a lot of issues that moms today are grappling with that a generation ago, we wouldn't have even considered talking about it. So I want you guys to check this book out, Becoming Mom Strong, How to Fight with All That's in You for Your Family and Your Faith. It's available anywhere that books are sold, and I know that you guys will be blessed. There is a corresponding Bible study. It's a six-week study, and you can do it at your church. You can do it, obviously, by yourself. But I just want to encourage you to take some time to really study God's heart for mothers. Also, during the month of February, I have written a study called Irreplaceable, the Heart of God for Mothers in Every Season of Mothering. And that study will be released the first Monday in February, and I will be teaching it right here uh, from the studio every Tuesday. So if you're not a member yet of MomStrong International, I want to encourage you to do that. Every time I teach, we give you opportunities to ask questions live and in person with me. And so it's just a great opportunity for you to interact with me, ask your questions and get some encouragement in your journey as a mom. Speaking of your journey as a mom, I am going to be in Greenville for the Teach Some Diligently conference coming up on February the 4th. I hope you guys will join me there. I am very, very excited. It cannot be overstated how excited I am to get back out on the road and meet you and hear what God is doing in your life, and hopefully bring a little bit of encouragement to you along the way. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to jump into your questions. Again, if you guys have questions that you would like to see addressed here at the show, the best way to do that is to reach out to me, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. That's also the place that you can leave your questions for my friend, Dr. Mark Sherwood. He comes on the show about once every couple of weeks, and we tackle your medical questions as well. All right. The first question I'm going to uh, tackle today comes from Madison in Texas. Hey, Madison. She said, hi, Heidi, I'm a new listener. Well, thank you, Madison. Welcome to Off the Bench. She says, what are your thoughts on women marrying believers and your thoughts on Christians, including their pronouns next to their names on emails and social media? So, so first of all, if somebody sends me an email and 
they feel the need to tell me their pronouns, you know, and you see this a lot now in in, um, email signatures, right? They'll say, you know, you know, thank you so much for taking time to read my email. You know, love Tom Jones. My pronouns are his and him. Someone is going to send me an email like that. I'm going to round file it. I'm probably not even going to to, uh, respond. And the reason is, is because I want to deal in reality. I want to deal in reality. And as far as I'm concerned, this hijacking of language, this I, this nonsensical idea that we need to start uh, figuring out what pronouns to call people who are obviously a girl. If you're a girl, your pronouns are, I hate to tell you, she and her. Th- those are your pronouns. And the fact that we're having to discuss this right now is lunacy to me. And uh, yeah, that's how that's all I've got to say about that. Other part of your question was you asked me what my thoughts on women marrying believers. So I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that question. The Bible teaches us very clearly that we are not to be unequally yoked. And so if you are a woman or a man and you're dating someone, the Bible says if you're a Christian, you need to be dating people who are already saved. Uh, It's actually a sin, according to Scripture, to be unequally yoked. Not only is it a sin, but I'm here to tell you right now, it's going to create problems for you later on in your marriage. You want to experience the blessing of God, stay inside the boundary of God. Now, does uh, are there examples in Scripture of where people have um, strayed outside the boundaries of God and eventually God restores them and they, they experience his blessing? Absolutely, that's true. But wouldn't you not want to endure the suffering that comes from disobeying God? And this really is an issue of obedience. My husband uh, used to be in a band, a, a Christian rock and roll band a long time ago in the 80s when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Sorry, Ken Ham. I know it was. I know it was before then. Uh, but he was in a band called uh, Saint John, and they wrote a song called "Missionary Dating." And the whole song was trying to talk to the young people in the '80s that were saying, "Hey, you know, just like in the schools, my kid's going to be a missionary in the schools. I'm going to send my child, you know, to the front lines of the battle, the cultural battle, and they're going to be a missionary." Or I'm going to date someone who's not a Christian. And boy, I'll tell you what, the goal of that is to just share Jesus. Okay, you're lying to yourself if you think that that is something that God would approve of. And that was the whole point of the song. Like we shouldn't be dating for the purposes of sharing Christ. We should be sharing Christ for the purposes of uh, getting people saved and introducing them to Jesus Christ and building up the kingdom. But it's not an excuse to go outside of God's boundaries and date people who are unsaved. So we are not to be unequally yoked. Now, if you're already in a marriage uh, with someone who's not a believer and you're feeling condemnation over that or whatever, listen, uh, take it before the Lord in prayer. God's not sitting over you, you know, with a heavenly hammer waiting to drop the hammer. I think you're already probably understanding why God in his wisdom said, do not become unequally yoked. We want to we want to be um, going the same direction when we raise our children. We want to share the same values, we want to share the same beliefs. And it may not seem like a really big deal when you're dating, but once you are married, and especially when you bring children into the relationship, the stakes become much higher and it becomes much harder. And so if you're already in that in a relationship like that, I would be, uh, the Bible talks a lot about the unbelieving husband being won over by the prayers of his wife and the gentle, long-suffering nature that we are called as Christians to exhibit inside of our relationships. And so I'd encourage you that way to just be loving uh, your husband or loving your wife if you're already in that relationship. But if you're not married and you are considering dating 
uh, or even worse, marrying someone who is not a believer and you guys are not on the same page, God says, do not do that. All right. The next question comes from an anonymous listener in Virginia. And she said, my husband is a government employee and they've just told him he has to resume weekly COVID testing because he's not vaccinated. (laughs) I mean, it's not funny, right? It's not funny. But it, this, this, the stupidity of our government agencies right now is absolutely mind-numbing. It's mind-numbing to me. Anyway, I digress. He has to self-administer and report the results of his test every week or he isn't allowed on site. Several managers get the results and or contact him if he fails to comply. Are you aware of any successful or pending lawsuits regarding discrimination like this? The thought of uh, just answering it Uh, answering that it was negative without actually doing the test crossed my mind, but that seems dishonest. Is there ever a time you think it isn't sinful to lie? Okay, so first of all, we we should be clear. Uh, The Bible is very clear that lying is wrong, right? And so I don't, I don't, I don't want to sit here and make excuses for lying. I think they've asked him to do this. Probably you should do it. In fact, not probably you should do it if you want. Is it ridiculous and absurd? Yes. And would I be suing the pants off of them? Absolutely. You might want to reach out to the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, you know, the Alliance Defending Freedom comes to mind. These are places that have attorneys that are committed to defending your civil liberties. I frankly don't understand why the ACLU is not doing this, but then the ACLU is a woke, dishonest organization on its face. So that maybe that's not the place to go. But uh, they're really, I mean, the Bible explicitly says that lying is wrong. Having said that, we've all heard the story of Corey Tenboom who lied to uh, to save the Jews from certain annihilation when she was hiding them in our home, in her home. There have been examples throughout history where where you have seen people. Oh, Pharaoh, uh, the you know, Moses mother comes to mind. Right. She hid him in the bulrushes and put him in a, a basket to hide him from Pharaoh. And then when Pharaoh's daughter found him floating in a basket, she lied again to save his life. So, you know, to me, the question really comes down to, you know, at the end of the day, and you got to be really talking to the Lord about this, but what does the Bible uh, have to say? I mean, this is an evil world that we're living in, and it might be the right thing to consider. This is the lesser of two evils, lying to save somebody's life, lying to keep someone safe. Uh, I don't know that that uh, your situation falls into that category. I would say, tell the truth, do what they ask you to do. And be looking for a way to uh, sue them because this this kind of stuff is absolutely discrimination. It's disgusting. It belies a terrible um, unwillingness on the part of the government to acknowledge that what is happening with their ridiculous guidelines is actually hurting and injuring people. And I, I think we're going to be stuck on this merry-go-round still for quite some time to come. All right, before I get to the next question, I would like to read some comments that have been left on YouTube. This one came from Missy Duffy, and she said, Heidi, Merry Christmas. Sorry, Missy, I should have read that a while ago. A whole bunch of you wish happy uh, happy New Year to me and Merry Christmas. Thank you guys for that. Jennifer said, one sleepover cured us of any others. My daughter's friends would not go to sleep. They were disrespectful, and I got very little sleep. Never again. I started to wonder why sleepovers were such a big deal. And then I remembered some of my own sleepover experiences, dirty jokes, stomach aches from junk food and truth or dare games. That was the first and last sleepover we ever let our kids participate in. Inquiring Mind said, we do not do sleepovers either. My sons are 15 and 12 and aren't necessarily fond of this rule, but this is not something that is negotiable. We've always had sleepovers at our own home to my husband and myself. 
it's not worth potential negative risk. And really, that is what that's the point that I was trying to make when I was telling you that I don't I'm not a fan of sleepovers. You know, if my daughter does engage and does go to a sleepover, it's because I have absolute 100 percent confidence in that family. I know I know the mom and the dad. Uh, and because we've had good conversations with our daughter beforehand, but even then I very rarely do it. And for all the reasons that you guys have pointed out, you know, nothing good happens after 10 o'clock when you're having these kids are spending the night. And let's be honest about it. Okay, guys, for just a second. Why do we love sleepovers as parents? Because we're off the hook for the night when we send our kid to somebody else's house, right? Maybe Maybe we can go on a date. Maybe we go to bed early with our husband, you know, whatever it is. A lot of it comes down to, to uh, straight up laziness in parenting. And our kids are not wise. They're not discerning as a general rule when they're 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. And so I'm not a fan of sleepovers. And, uh, and I'm glad to see so many of you stepping up into the right direction and really saying, you know what, we are going to uh, invest in our children and do the hard thing. In fact, I spoke about this the other day when I was on my friend David Medina's show at OFA Media. And he was saying, you know, what do you say to the parents? They're telling you, hey, uh, I just can't homeschool my kids. You know, we are we are a, a, a two-income family, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, listen, I am running out of patience. These are our kids. And I don't know when parents decided there was an easy button somewhere for parenting. And frankly, the public school system has turned out a bunch of lazy, irresponsible parents who would subject their children to all manner of wickedness because we don't want to do the hard work of parenting. And there are lots of options for educating your children. There are lots of options for homeschooling. Certainly a lot of help is available for parents who want to homeschool their children But it's just like sending your kids off for sleepovers and not knowing who the house is that you just sent your child to. It's like uh, putting your kid on a school bus and sending them off to the public indoctrination centers five days a week, eight hours a day, and then expecting that the hour and a half that you have home with them before they go to bed for the night is going to fix what just happened during the day. It is foolish to consider uh, what's happening in our schools and not consider bringing your kids home. And I think the same thing is true for sleepovers. Grace Greenwall uh, commented to me about her love of the King James Version Bible. I saw that Grace finally Mary in North Carolina wishes her husband would lead her family spiritually. She said, Heidi, I'm going on three years of listening to you consistently. Well, thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. I thank you for the biblical encouragement daily. My question is, how are wives and mothers that lead their children spiritually viewed biblically? My husband is a believer, and yet I believe he allows his sins to stand in the way of leading his family as God instructs. I am starting to harbor a level of resentment on this topic because I know God wants and I want so much more for our family spiritually. We do not attend church mostly because he avoids the conversation. I appreciate your monthly studies. I listen to your show, read my Bible and speak frequently of God's word to my children. Yet I am so discouraged. Do you have any words of advice? Well, a couple of things, you know, your role as a, as a, a mother, your role as a Christian wife, first and foremost, is just to surrender to the Lord. That is your role. And I talk to dozens of women every single year who wish that their husbands would take a stronger role of mentorship uh, of their children. They wish they would take a stronger role spiritually. They wish their husbands were very excited and enthusiastic and wanted to go to church. And uh, I want to just encourage you. You said that you were starting to be resentful. And I guess I just want to encourage you away from that place, away from feeling resentful toward your husband 
because that's exactly what the enemy wants. He wants you to be angry. He wants you to be resentful. There's nothing in the Bible that is keeping you from guarding your children's heart by teaching them the scriptures yourself. And I would encourage you to do that. If your husband doesn't want to go to church, uh, why aren't you taking your children to church? Why aren't you saying, hey, we're going to start going to, um, you know, Wednesday night Bible study together, or we're going to start getting involved in our church so that our kids have a church that they can uh, that they can call home. And so I just want to encourage you, you know, I think it's a danger often that we find our identity as women, as Christian women, in whether or not our husbands are doing their job before the Lord. Now, is it biblically your husband's role to lead your family spiritually? Absolutely it is. But I've answered this question many times on the show over the years, and I, I always tell women the same thing. If your husband will not uh, step up and assume that role and there are children in the home, then the role is yours. Then the role is yours. So find a good Bible study program that you like um, and sit down with your kids and just ask the Lord to bless it and ask the Lord to bless your husband also to bring him to a point where he wants to be the spiritual leader of your home. But don't waste the opportunity that God has given you to pour into the lives of your children. So uh, I hope that that helps. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. All right, Rachel in Tennessee, she says, Heidi, my question is about when to have the talk with your kids, not just sex, but the dangers of porn. I have a 10-year-old boy and we homeschool, so he is not exposed to as much evil perversion as some and is still so innocent. He knows the basics of reproduction as we have farm animals. I'll tell you what, you guys, I grew up on a little farm and the images that I had from those animals reproducing did not, I'll just say, make me want to get married. That's all I have to say about that. I don't want to bring this up to my son until he really asks for details, but I also don't want him hearing about it from someone other than me. We are careful about who we are around, but I know that this is lurking everywhere. I was public schooled and I remember the sex ed, what to expect videos with periods and puberty talk in the fifth grade. Thank you so much for your time and advice. All right, Rachel. So first of all, let me just say, I love the heart behind this question because it tells me that you are trying to be sensitive to where your son is at and you're wanting to get out ahead of, you know, the the chance that your son may be exposed to the talk about sex or whatever, uh, you know, before you get to him. Your kids are going to learn. This is this is kind of the, the main thing that I want you to hear. Your kids are going to learn about sex from somewhere. You're going to be going through the grocery store checkout and they're going to see an image on the cover of a magazine or they're going to overhear a conversation even maybe between you and your husband or they're going to have a friend over someday and you're going to think that this friend is blissfully innocent just like your son and they're going to end up talking about sex and your son's going to be confused by the conversation that happens. At 10 years old, you need to have this conversation with your child. You need to have the conversation. I, I you know, like I said to you guys before, my oldest daughter is 31 and my youngest daughter is 12. I am parenting my 12-year-old in a very different world than I parented my 31-year-old in. And I am telling you right now that you may think that your son is uh, surrounded by nothing but you know innocence and, and rainbows and unicorns. But the fact of the matter is 
this world is absolutely taking dead aim against your child. And I would encourage you to have conversations about sex that are healthy, that um, encourage him to respect that God has made us sexual beings and that we have the opportunity to experience sex inside of marriage and that it's a good thing. I want my kids to have a positive view of sex. I don't want them to hear about it from somebody else. I certainly don't want them subjected to porn. And I and I want my kids to know that I am someone that they can talk to about sex and that there's no topic with regard to sex or intimacy in marriage that is off the table. You want to be a place where your children can come and not feel em- embarrassed or ashamed uh, of the questions that they might bring to you. And so I would say sooner rather than later, uh, you know, 25 years ago, I might have said something differently, but human sexuality is very, very complex. And your kids need to know that God made sex and it's from him. And so uh, there are some really great books out there to kind of help you have these conversations. I know some people that say, start talking to your kids about sex when they're three. I think that's too little. But 10 is certainly not too little. And in fact, I would have said, probably would have had the conversation with my own children even a little bit earlier. Just the fact that you guys are out on a farm and he's homeschooled uh, doesn't mean that you can wait until he's much older to talk to him about these things, mostly because you want that conversation to be free-flowing and natural. And uh, I and, and you hopefully you want your son to have a positive view of sex. God has a positive view of sex. It's the world that has distorted it. All right, last question. Question of the day. I was hoping to get to some more, but this one comes from Kathy in Oregon. And in light of my conversation that I had with you guys last week, talking about uh, the state of New York legalizing human composting, I should have said, and I didn't, that it is also legal, of course, to do it in Washington State because Washington State has all kinds of insane, wicked uh, agendas that are running through our state house. And so it's been legal here, I think, since 2019. So for a few years, and if you look it up online, there's all kinds of options for human composting. I frankly think it's horrifying. I told you guys last week, human beings are not garbage. We're not to be treated as garbage. And you'll say, well, your body's going to return to the dust anyway. That's right. So let it return to the dust. But we do not treat human beings as waste or as garbage. And that is what human composting does. It turns your loved ones into garbage. Now, when you ask the question about cremation versus burial, uh, in my study of the Bible, I've never seen any any explicit scriptures that talk about cremation versus, uh, you know, a burial where a human body is embalmed. Someone said to me one time that, well, you know, our bodies are going to be raised someday and we don't want, you know, we don't want our, we don't want to ruin them through uh, cremation. And I'm just like, you guys, really? You really should just watch an embalming sometime and tell me if you think that's better than uh, cremation. And God made Adam from dust. It's not going to be a problem for the Lord of Heaven's armies to resurrect your body and put it all the way back together again and reunite it with your soul. It really isn't. And the Bible has, I mean, this is, and I am going to read a little bit of scripture here for you because I think I think this will be encouraging about your resurrected body. This is out of 1 Corinthians 15 starting in verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body did they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. 
But there is one kind for the humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. This goes back to what I was talking about uh, with my friend Sherry the other day and just saying, listen, we are not like the animals. And to treat a human being, uh, even in death, as if they were nothing more than garbage or waste, I think dishonors, uh, dishonors the Lord. It says in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. First, the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, if you turn Aunt Martha into garbage and into compost is, and she was a believer, is she going to rise too? Yes. But I believe that uh, dishonoring uh, human beings, even in death, and not treating them as image bearers of the creator God is inherently wrong and wicked on its face. And so... Uh, hopefully, as you guys are, you know, thinking about what that might mean for you and and looking again to what God's heart is for you, you can see again that it matters to the living God exactly what we do. So again, cremation does nothing but expedite the process of turning a body into dust. And you guys, God is able to resurrect that body and fit it with its uh, body that's going to be made for heaven. We can't understand what our bodies are going to be like in heaven uh, but I think they're going to be pretty spectacular. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse one, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, so my body, so what you guys are looking at on YouTube right now, and you see, uh, you know, an image that is Heidi St. John, this is just a tent. And anyone who has ever been around a person when they have gone home to be with the Lord knows the moment your spirit leaves your body, because there's an animation that happens even when someone's in a coma, even when somebody is uh, unconscious there is an animation in the human body that is the soul that animates uh, that fleshly tent, that body that the Apostle Paul is talking about in Corinthians. And moment your spirit leaves your body, you can tell immediately this is a tent. The person who inhabited this tent is no longer present. And that's what Paul is saying. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And we have a lot to look forward to, you guys, uh, and a lot to be thankful for. And I'm going to encourage you, like I've done many times, you know, don't get hung up on these kinds of things because the Bible is very clear that the dead in Christ will rise first. You're going to be given a brand new body. Thank goodness, because in my mid 50s, I'll tell you what, this one's, I mean, I'm exercising because this thing, this little tent I'm dwelling in is starting to starting to show some wear and tear. And so eventually the Bible says we're going to get a new body. I'm going to come back. I, I, there's so many questions I want to answer here today, and I don't have time. But uh, another question about whether or not there's going to be marriage in heaven. These are fascinating conversations and really good questions. Keep them coming. You guys can send them to me, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. I also want to thank you. If you love this podcast and you would like to support it financially, you can go to DonorBox to do that. And I'll link back to it in the show notes today. We appreciate those of you who have become monthly supporters here at the show. And don't forget, I'm going to hold it up one more time. Go out and get yourself a copy of Becoming MomStrong, How to Fight with All That's in You for Your Family and Your Faith. And check out MomStrongInternational.com. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks for listening. And I'll see you back here again at the intersection of faith 